South Africans were in for a shock at petrol stations last week, paying one rand seventy-one more per liter of petrol, two eighty-four per liter for diesel. Volatility in the crude oil market is behind the big jump in prices, both locally and globally. This has led to a spin in global stocks and concerns in bond markets, and that's effectively applied the brakes on any hope of global growth recovery. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's our in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy, changing the game. In this episode, I'm joined by Investec Treasury economist Tersha Jacobs, along with equity analyst Herbert Karibe, as we examine what's behind the soaring oil price and how it's affecting individuals and business. More importantly, we'll look at whether it could go any higher and what the implication would be of another increase. Herbert, Tersha, a very warm welcome back to both of you to No Ordinary Wednesday. Herbert, let me start with you then. Huge increases, as I've just mentioned, at pumps in the country. What's behind the jump? Uh, Good to be back, as always. The short answer is OPEC Plus has enacted production cuts in anticipation of lower demand to balance and push the market into deficit in order to support uh, oil prices. Saudi has decided to cut production by a million barrels a day, and Russia seems to be finally delivering on their 500,000 a day cut announced in Feb 2023. And of course, the rent doesn't help at the pumps. So can we take a step back then and maybe give us a high-level view of the state of the global oil market currently? Extended supply cuts by top oil producers and obviously ongoing concern over China. How's the market looking? I think, as you said, let's take a few steps back. I think since COVID, you can somewhat look at the market in three phases. Phase one, let's call it April 22, Feb uh, 2022. Oil rallied on the back of uh, OPEC plus uh, supply discipline aided by pent-up demand from the reopening of the global economy. Prices increased from the low 20s to around $90 per barrel. That was actually the price before the first bullet or missile was fired between uh, Russia and Ukraine. Phase 2 looks like uh, Feb 2022 to June 2023. Russia is the third largest producer accounting for plus minus 10% of global production. Prices went as high as 130 per barrel, reaching a low of $72 per barrel by June 2023. In this period of high volatility, the U.S. and its partners subsidized the market by releasing 240 million barrels to lower prices. This also coincided with, uh, with the interest rate cycle, which brought demand concerns to the forefront, coupled with a draconian lockdown in China. China, by the way, that's your second largest oil consumer after the U.S. And there were high expectations when it came to the reopening of the Chinese economy. This has delivered uh, mixed results. But in oil terms, demand quite convincing grew by two to three million barrels per day from April. But this was more than offset by demand concerns as a result of high interest rates. Fast forward to today, call it phase three, June 23 to present, interest rates very much weighing heavily on global growth and in turn oil demand, especially in the West, coupled with an underwhelming Chinese recovery. OPEC Plus hence decided to cut production in anticipation of this lower demand and rebalance this market. And in September, 
extended the cuts into 2024. But I think worth noting from that mouthful is when the production cuts were announced in July, in isolation, they didn't seem to have any uh, impact on prices. In my observation, I think it's only when the narrative around the U.S. economy evolved to soft lending that demand concerns were somewhat abated. And hence, we had this rally from $72 per barrel to now around $90 per barrel. Quite a lot, but I think that sums it up. And beyond that, are there other factors driving these high prices? I think the usual suspects remain, regional conflicts. And this time, I don't think the U.S. and its partners have the luxury of tapping into the strategic petroleum reserves that is. The U.S. reserves are at levels last seen in the 80s. But currently, it's all about demand expectations and OPEC supply discipline. I would argue the OPEC resolve is stronger than ever. And Herbert, I'd be correct in saying that this is not just isolated to South Africa. In other words, we're not the only country feeling the pain. Fuel prices surging globally, as we've discussed. Uh, The UK, for instance, uh, is equally worried. It's also been sounding the alarm bells. That is correct. The fuels market is getting complicated. We've had numerous refinery closures with limited new builds. Most closures have been uh, in the developed world due to ESG pressures with new builds largely located in the East or in Asia. Closer to home, we are also closing and or converting into import terminals. The net effect is reduced supply, while demand is still increasing despite the surge in uh, EVs. Starting off with petrol, global inventories are aligned with seasonal norms, in, in other instances higher. Therefore, petrol is well supplied, but diesel is a different story. Inventories are below seasonal lows, and therefore we are likely to see higher prices for diesel while petrol prices are declining. And why is that? As a supplier, I would target diesel production to capture the high margins. But petrol is going to become a byproduct. Therefore, brace yourself if you drive diesel. And of course, key to diesel and petrol pricing, the rand is of significant importance as we import more than two thirds of our fuels requirements. All right, Tersha, you are digesting all of this as you sit next to Herbert. Uh, Let's go beyond that and just look at impact more generally. Uh, The bond market, for instance, uh, skittish over these oil prices. What are you seeing? Yes, Jeremy, many of the factors that Herbert flagged are actually playing out. And, you know, contrary to expectations where one would have thought that, you know, weaker global growth could actually lead to lower bond yields, we have seen the opposite happening. And I'm just going to to mention the factors again because they are going to continue playing out over the next few months and perhaps even longer. So the first, you know, dynamic was the U.S. economy that has actually been more resilient than expected. And that has resulted in a repricing of Fed rate cut expectations. So previously, the market was thinking the Fed could already cut rates by the end of this year. So it's even unlikely that it may happen as early as late next year. So that has resulted in a big repricing. And obviously, you know, the inflation outlook with the crude oil price 
is playing out in that scenario. And then the second one as well is, you know, Japanese monetary policy. You know, so Japan has been, you know, the the laggard. Their policy rate is still minus 0.1% and they have yield curve control. So it's possible that there could be a change in coming months and that can hold implications for the yen and for foreign capital flows into, you know, U.S. treasuries. And then the third aspect was, you know, around the world, government budget deficits are actually higher than anticipated and specifically in America as well. So the their U.S. Treasury have actually increased the amount of bond issuance. So that also feeds into higher bond yields. So the combination of these dynamics peak into higher bond yields perhaps for longer and therefore the outlook for inflation specifically how the disinflation process with oil now back at $90 per barrel will play out is, is quite important. I want to come back to disinflation in just a moment if we can, but adding to all of this is weak economic data coming out of several economies. This is not going to help in any way growth recovery, is it? No, not at all. And I think the important dynamic here is, you know, we have divergent growth across the world. You know, as I said earlier on, the U.S. economy has actually been more resilient, driven by a relatively strong consumer. But in Europe, on the other hand, the economy is losing momentum, especially the German economy, where high interest rates with high inflation are exerting downward pressure on disposable incomes of households. And in the manufacturing sector, that's very exposed to um, developments in China are also under pressure. So you'll see in Europe, there's concerns that, um, you know, stagflation may be developing. So that is high inflation with soft growth. And then in Japan, the story is, you know, we have seen disappointing growth. Consumer spending has been very weak with very low confidence, even though savings rates are high. And then around the world, you know, global trade is softer with high interest rates also impacting. So inevitably, are we going to see more monetary policy tightening then? So that is actually turning into a dilemma because this is where we need a very a balancing act between softer growth in the context of, you know, still waiting for the lag effect of, you know, the aggressive rate hikes that we've seen since last year. For example, the Fed hike the, their policy rate by 525 basis points and the ECB by 425 basis points. So we haven't seen that impact yet. But, you know, at the same time... There's a lot of uncertainties out there. For example, the one would be geopolitical risk. How will that impact supply chains over the medium term? Could that lead to high inflation for longer? And then, of course, the climate transition, which Herbie sort of alluded to, to the extent that there will be more investment. And so that could also, you know, exert upward pressure on interest rates, you know, where if borrowing is increasing. So there's a lot of uncertainty going ahead. And this then begs the question... Will central banks in this environment be more cautious? And this is where, you know, the concern is, and what I mentioned, the the balancing act, can rates stay higher for longer and perhaps lead to a deeper economic decline? Or do you require these higher rates for longer because inflationary pressures are building? So it's a very uncertain time, actually. But I think the best we can say is, you know, that interest rates are in the process of peaking. Can you just help me understand this very quickly? You mentioned that we're starting to see signs of disinflation with the high oil price. Then what are the implications for inflation? 
So, Jeremy, that's actually a very good question, and I'm going to answer it in the context of phase one and a phase two. So after COVID and the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we saw the spike in inflation, and that was due to a combination of supply side shocks and very strong demand on the back of government fiscal stimulus. So when the oil price started to decline combined with food prices and high interest rates, we've seen inflation in the world receding relatively quickly from very high levels in some countries like Europe. You know, in Europe, for example, it was up 10%. And in America, it was also close to 10%. So in America now, inflation has come back to 3.2%. In um, Europe, the inflation is around about 5.3%. And in emerging markets, the decline was also quite fast. But the phase two one will be, how long will it take to get inflation back to the target band or target rate of the various central banks. For example, the ECB and the Fed are at 2%. In South Africa, we are 3 to 6% with a midpoint of the target at 4.5%. So this last mile in the battle in inflation can actually be more challenging and much slower. So that is why with this high oil price, this return or this last mile in battling inflation could be even slower. All right, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Before we do that, just a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. It's pretty easy to find us. All you need to do is subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Let's get back into the oil conversation now. And Herbert, on Tersha's point about global growth, this is obviously weighing heavily on commodity markets. Global demand low, prices continue to fall, some stocks have crashed. So how did we get here in the first place and do you see any sense of recovery anytime soon the overall commodity complex requires two things a booming chinese economy and lower interest rates china remains the primary commodity market and the recovery has been underwhelming further china has aspirations to transition into a service economy This means we may not see a Chinese economy that is as commodity hungry as we have been accustomed to. China is the second largest oil consumer after the U.S. With regards to low interest rates or cheaper money, you need that to enable investments, which in turn drive uh, demand. Lower interest rates are likely to come with a weaker dollar, which is positive for commodities, especially oil. So with regards to the underlying question of oil, OPEC has been very proactive in managing this uh, oil market. And if the soft lending narrative gains momentum, we are likely to see higher oil prices as that solves for demand concerns. But if the narrative flips to hard lending, then we are likely to see a collapse in the commodity complex, oil included. Tersha, a little earlier, Herbert touching on currency pressures. Uh, As we well know, the RAND has been fluctuating in recent months. Looking forward, what are you seeing? What are your expectations? Jeremy, the RAND has been, as you point out, quite volatile. I think in the bigger picture, the South African economy is not robust and it's quite fragile. And we are moving into October with the medium-term budget policy statements where there's uncertainty about what's going to happen to the fiscal deficit and to what extent the government can actually reduce spending 
spending, right? And that's also in the context of load shedding. But internationally, the big driver has been the the relatively strong dollar. And the reason being is that with the U.S. economy outperforming other countries, interest rates in America and better growth prospects have attracted capital into the U.S. equities and bond market, hence the outperformance. And, you know, with the Chinese economy on the back foot and, as Herbert mentioned, commodity prices under pressure, that has also been negative to the RAND. So the RAND basically, in addition to, you know, local factors have also been hit by by offshore dynamics. So the RAND remains very volatile. And I think the factors that we discussed today um, is going to continue to play out in coming months. So the RAND is likely to remain fairly volatile. Tertia, there's no doubt that all that has gone ahead in our discussion today does affect you and I, Herbert, consumers. All of this is another blow for South Africans. So it's another squeeze on our income. So what is the impact on you and me and also the impact on business? Absolutely. You know, when when Herbert discussed the different drivers of petrol and diesel price, you know, the diesel price in Rantums has increased by 19% since June compared to a 9% increase in, in the fuel price. So it's substantial, especially the input costs for businesses. And then, you know, with load shedding and, you know, as Herbert said, two thirds of our oil needs are imported, you know, our economy has become much more sensitive to the diesel price, right? So unfortunately, it means our own disinflationary process are going to be quite challenging. You know, the July inflation rate receded to 4.7%, but it's likely to reaccelerate to about 5.5% in coming months before, you know, ending the year around about 5.2%. So on the one hand, we have the higher input costs. The critical element, for example, for our Reserve Bank is to what extent this will be continued to be passed on to consumers, right? So that's one of the reasons why interest rates have been increased quite aggressively to prevent that pass-through. But, you know, consumers are sitting in a tight spot. We had big electricity tariff increases in July as well. So disposable income will remain under pressure. So I think the outlook for consumer spending in coming months is quite challenging. And then the same with business. Um, You know, our second quarter GDP did surprise on the upside, growing by 0.6% quarter on quarter. But to the extent that that is going to be sustainable in going into the the third quarter is a bit there's a bit of a question mark over it you know we have seen an increase in load shedding again I can perhaps just flag that we do expect load shedding to decline from late this year if some of the four Kusuli units come back online but the the economic the operating environment remains very challenging Herbert I want to wrap up this conversation with you if we can so we know how we got here, we've discussed impact at length. So let's look ahead now. What are your projections on the oil price over the next couple of months and how worried should we be? Always uh, challenging to look forward with oil, but I think there are a few things we can use to gauge where this could go. We know that the U.S. government is a net buyer at $75 per barrel to refill uh, the SPR. And Saudi's fiscal break-even is around the low 80s. These levels serve as 
uh, theoretical flaws in the market. And at some point in the near future, we expect uh, rate cuts in key global economies, and that is positive for commodities, especially oil. Currently at $90 per barrel, oil looks somewhat overbought and likely to soften. Our base case is an average of $82 per barrel in the second half of calendar year 23. And of course, this seems challenged with the spot price at around $90. Our bull case, we make a case for $89 per barrel, ending Q4 at around $93 per barrel. And I want to flag that this is oil. It could go higher. All it takes is a U.S. hurricane, increased intensity in uh, in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, or a new conflict altogether in the Middle East. So quite volatile, but at this stage, it appears to be trending higher. So many variables, as you say. To both of you, insightful and compelling as always. I do appreciate that. Uh, Tersha and Herbert, thank you so much. Please join us again in a fortnight as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, uh, pretty simple. Just search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and uh, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.